co-host Alex Lapp. Alex, what's up, man? Well, Mike, today we have a bit of a eponymous episode, if you will. Yeah. We're going to talk about the uh, the social contract. Yeah, and I mean, not not us necessarily, but the, the actual, the, the image and philosophy on our namesake, uh, the social contract as it is in our format. I think part of it is that this varies from group to group. And that's kind of important because that's one of the outliers on this very nebulous idea that everybody has a definition of and might not necessarily be the same thing. So I'm pretty excited to talk about this one with you. Absolutely, Mike. This is, to me, one of the most interesting things at the core of the game of Commander. Mm-hmm. And it really drives a lot of what makes the game of Commander very interesting to me. This is what is at the core of uh, political agreements and just politics in general. This is what's at the core of people's enjoyment of the game. But this is kind of a, uh, it's kind of a paradox, right? Because it's an unwritten rule. Right. People will pontificate and opine on it, but it's just as you said. The social contract is a very nebulous thing. Different metas have different social contracts. Mm -hmm. But... What we're going to talk about today is some of the things that show up uh, quite frequently across different metas, social contracts. But before we get into that, Mike, let's talk briefly about what the social contract is. Now, the note you have written here, I think, is is a very nice broad dictionary-style definition that I think does fit uh, very nicely for an opening here. You want to read that? Yeah, um, and you said dictionary style. Uh, it is literally the dec- the dictionary oh, uh, definition. Let's, let's hear it. The actual definition is an implicit agreement among the members of a society to cooperate for social benefits. So that's an extremely open-ended statement because it basically just says the people that are doing something together agreeing among what should happen for everybody to benefit. Right. Which... Great. Okay, so... That's an interesting concept, right? Because that doesn't just happen in the game of Commander. That's something that's happening at all times to everyone everywhere. We're talking right. about society, and that that's a little bit outside of the scope of this episode. But we live in a society, Mike, so that's just something that you might be interested in. If you find that uh, political deals and the social contract are interesting to you, Maybe consider mm-hmm. a career in sociology. Who knows? Uh, so let's go ahead and, and read EDH Rec uh, has a definition of, of the social contract. Yes, please. Um, that's more generalized, but specific to Commander. It, it says here, the social contract of Commander refers to an underlying principle that all players within the game are seeking a resonant, mutually enjoyable experience, not only for themselves, but for all players at the table. Now, as a result, some cards, strategies, or game actions uh, may prevent one or several players from having that enjoyable experience. Uh, those may be discouraged from games of Commander. Mm. This might be an implicit unspoken agreement, 
It may be a, a rule or set of expectations that the group has explicitly agreed upon. Um, and then finally it says that this is distinct from one-on-one magic and competitive EDH, where the focus is uh, purely on the competitive nature on victory. And social contracts are really more like uh, being a good sport, like in baseball. If, if you're on a competitive baseball team, uh, the social contract there is not to like, you know, be mean to the other players or hit them with the baseball. Things that are just like decent person things to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what CEDH's social contract is. And we're not talking about that at all. Because in CEDH, they just do whatever they, they darn well please, Mike. And that's fantastic for them. But let's talk about some things that seem like they tick people off. Yeah. And we talked about some of this uh, in a previous episode recently about uh, the SALT score, about how EDH Rec took a survey of Commander players as to which cards they hated the most. And we saw that there were certain categories that many of these cards fell under. I think we're going to see some of those recognized today. Let's go ahead and start here with yeah. Mass Land Destruction. Oh, yeah. Um, would you like to take this one, Mike? Uh, this is all you, man. Fantastic. So Mass Land Destruction is an archetype that seeks to gain advantage by building a board state that allows them to function without spending any additional mana, for example, by attacking with creatures mm-hmm. or activating abilities of creatures or other permanents um, or mana rocks. And then they'll destroy all of the lands in the battlefield, their own lands and other players' lands uh, through through several means here. And we're going to go through some of these spells. Uh, but for now, basically, it's build a big fat board that has a lot of meat on it, destroy all the lands, and then using the value on your board, win the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but more specifically, Mass Land Destruction, when people say it colloquially, they're probably talking about one of these spells, a specific kind of spell that is used by an MLD deck to destroy all lands. So let's talk about some of these spells, and then after we have sure. a feeling of of what these spells are, we can talk about maybe why we feel that Mass Land Destruction is something that a lot of Magic players feel does not belong in their meta. Mm-hmm. So let's start here with uh, some of the top cards for Mass Land Destruction as as rated by EDH Rec. Number one, Armageddon. Uh, you probably heard of this one. It's a three and a white for a sorcery, destroy all lands. Yep. That's the box standard. Armageddon is destroy all lands. It doesn't get any simpler than that, Mike. Um, and then similarly, we have a Wildfire here, which is a four red, red sorcery. Each player sacrifices four lands. And Wildfire deals uh, four damage to each creature. So that's another thing that kind of incorporates with what I was talking about, is that the ideal thing that the MLD player will be doing is creating that big board state. And with a card like Wildfire, they were building tall and then use a spell like this to knock out everyone else's small blockers so that they can then swing through. And since you have no lands, you can't play any more creatures. But our third card here, I think, is really relevant to... A, a very core topic that we talk about a lot, Mike, and that's parody. Parody is is a very complicated concept, but it's the idea of breaking symmetry, right? Sure. We talk about symmetrical effects all the time, but we also talk about how we gain advantage from those effects in a way that other players can't gain advantage from them for one reason or another. Parody is when everyone's even, and when you break parody, that's when you are getting below or above someone else, hopefully above. And and that's what this card here is doing. Random map excavator, 
Two and a green for a creature Naga cleric. Two, three, you may play lands from your graveyard. Now, that's a decent value creature in in many decks, um, especially lands decks like to play uh, Crucible of Worlds, Random Map Excavator. Sure. Um, But in MLD, it's doing a very specific purpose because they expect all of their own lands to be in their graveyard. So this is allowing them to slowly grind out value to slowly break parity. And I think that's what's really at the heart of this, Mike, is the grinding out of value. Because when you use mass land destruction and then win very rapidly, for example, by swinging out into an alpha strike and in one combat phase, everyone's dead, Mm -hmm. you know, your opponent's lost, but... That's not necessarily a feel-bad situation. They might have won out of nowhere, but that's, in my opinion, that combat is is a reasonable way to win the game. That's I don't think too many people get salty about combat, I hope. In other cases, you have this, Random Map Excavator, Crucible of Worlds, things that are slowly grinding the game back. Here's another one uh, that I'd like to bring up in relation to that. Fall of the Thran. It's five and a white for a enchantment saga. Okay. Chapter one says destroy all lands. Of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, chapters two and three each say each player returns two land cards from their graveyard to the battlefield. So it's a destroy all land effect, and then it begins to grind some of that value back. The reason why that's a feels bad situation when that grinding out of value is happening, and they're like the the MLD player is slowly recurring their value, bringing their land cards back, slowly killing people with with value and and combos and combat over the course of several turns, that sort of grinding out is boring. Right. It's like solitaire. And I think that 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 can tend to happen a lot with MLD decks. Mike, have you played against many? I haven't played against a bunch. The social contract in in that form has been pretty kind to me uh, through the various play groups and local game shops and everything that I've, I've, I've dealt with. I, so to key on a couple of things uh, here, I haven't dealt with that, very often as far as the grind out. I've dealt with some mass land destruction, but you know what? I don't mind if someone Armageddon's the board mm-hmm. right after they make all of their lands undestructible creatures. Or even if they just make their lands indestructible because then it's a, hey, this is where I'm at. They've immediately won the game. Yeah. yeah. If they can immediately swing out or the amount that you have to overcome. If, if they've got eight lands and everybody else has none, I, you know what? I'm okay with... I, I don't need like that, but I'm okay with that as far as a game standpoint. They haven't broken any rules. They haven't done anything crazy. It doesn't feel good, but I, there are way worse ways to lose, and we'll get into some of those a little bit further. I'm totally, I get where this is coming from as far as the social contract aspect, where I'm going to remove all lands from the battlefield, put them in the graveyards, and then I'm going to grind out value a little bit to try and win eventually or it's going to be a long time but i'm going to win i have the best path towards winning you know through this symmetrical effect that i'm built for it's man i think out of all of the items that we're actually going to talk about it seems weird because when we started this was probably my least favorite and listening to you kind of go over the details over it i think it's actually my least concerning at this point right I've totally flipped the script since we've actually started the podcast. That's fun. I'm glad I could do that for you. Do yeah. you think that that has something to do with the fact that mass land destruction is kind of a boogeyman, but you're right. We don't tend to see it mostly because it's so maligned mm-hmm. that I've, now we we may feel a bit soft on it. I mean, 
it's it's been a while since I've played against one. I remember it being quite miserable. Sure. But I mean, other other archetypes are miserable. I think I think for me, it's it's in part because, like you said, it's it's kind of the boogeyman. I don't see it that often. The other part is when I do see it, it is a strategy that is as annoying as it is. It's still built to win the game. Right. It's still trying to do something for like actually it's slowing the game down a, a, an obscene amount and right. it's feels bad and it's stopping people from being able to play the game of magic. Do not get me wrong. I hate mass land destruction. Uh-huh. I have two lands decks. Neither of them deals with any land destruction because there's nothing about it that feels good to play against. And for me, there's nothing that feels good about playing it. If I'm borrowing somebody else's deck or something along those lines, but at least it's trying to reach an end. And I, I mean, you, you said it's something that you, you ran into a lot early, but it's, it's not something that you've seen very recent. No, I really haven't seen it very much at all. I have played my share of games against them, but mm-hmm. they've never been common anywhere yeah. that I've played. And I think you, you've really hit the nail on the head. And I think we understand this implicitly when a deck is able to end the game quickly, that's, better in almost every case than a deck that has won the game but can't close it out very slowly and i think that leads right in mike to our second point if you'd like to talk about that yeah and this is probably going to be a little surprising for people because i my my aggression and vitriol against stacks is well documented at this point but included in this uh we're talking about stacks chaos effects and even group hug, our, 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 our loving, loving, beautiful child. Those being grouped in together into the same area of playing this effect, but being unable to win the game with it. Man, I, I cannot stand when something exists or when somebody plays a deck and the entire purposes of the deck is just to make people miserable. Hmm. And group hug, I don't see that nearly as much because all right, I'm just going to give everybody as many resources as possible. Well, unless you're doing something crazy, that speeds up the game, right? But you still want to be able to compete with it. You still want to be able to win. Otherwise, all you're really doing is it's almost like playing plane chase and you're the you're playing as a plane of make everybody else do stuff while you chill. Well, that, that's that's not fun to me. When you talk about chaos... I love when it happens. I think Possibility Storm is an awesome card. But if the entire effect that you're playing is just chaos, and that's all you're doing, it's a really good way of making the game last an hour and a half longer than it needs to, because all you want to do is put cards out there that change the way that the game is played all the time without coming to an end. And then holy cow stacks. Um... I'm going to say this calmly because I, I need this to be the most logical I've been about stacks since we've started. The breaking of the social contract with me is if you are putting other people in a position where they cannot continue the game while we all watch you continue the game at a snail's pace. Solitaire. It's just, I, I don't like when you go infinite extra turns, mm-hmm. but you can't you know, show the entire loop or everything that you're doing. If your main sh- win con is people uh, concede, yeah, you I, don't have a win con. 
That's a very good way of putting it. Yes. If if the if the way that you win the game is for people to say, "Cool, we scoop. Do you have a different deck and we'll play again?" Mm-hmm. Not because the power level is super high, not because if the main reason that you win games is because everybody else decides they do not want to play that game anymore then it's wrong (laughs) it's just right i'm sorry it's it's that's mike i think that that we have to kind of move through the looking glass here because there's a reason why i've put these three archetypes together yes on our outline here stacks chaos and group hug all very though, different strategies. Yes, but... they're very different, but they also all have something in common. They are all control decks that have a degree of meta control. Mm-hmm. And not meta control as in, oh, this card's banned from our meta. I'm talking about control about the way the game is played in right. addition to what's happening in the game. And in some ways... That meta component of it is always the same. I feel very similarly when I'm playing Group Hug as to when I'm playing Stacks, as to when someone is playing Chaos. I don't have a Chaos deck, but it's very, it's it's quite like the other two. Mm-hmm. And that's because it's the exercise of control. But I don't know if I would say a different lens on it. I would say it's a different means of expressing it. I could see that. One of those ways of expressing it is by making it fun until you die Mm -hmm. one of them is making it just absolutely impossible to plan ahead until you die it's it's incomprehensible (laughs) right and then one of them is making you unable to do anything until you die and i think that's at the heart of it why a lot of people don't like group hug Hmm. not necessarily because we're so goddamn chipper And we just have a great time. It's because deep down, we know that behind the smile is an even bigger smile of when it's time for me to win the game, I'm going to stab them in the back so hard. It's going to be awesome. Now, we've talked about this. That's not out of the ordinary. That's how every deck works. It's just that usually other decks You're not enabling other people to do more than they usually could. Handing your friend the knife is, is always fun. So, Mike, let's look at some of these cards yeah. for these three archetypes and see what's different about them and what's the same about them, shall we? Sure. All right. So let's start with stacks. The number one stacks card, and we're talking about synergy here, is Dranith Magistrate, which is a new one. Uh, mm-hmm. It's one in a white creature human wizard from Ikoria. It's a 1-3. Your opponents can't cast spells from anywhere other than their hands. This is a great stacks piece. Yeah. This, number one, players can't cast commanders unless they're from their hands, which, good luck. Um, They can't reanimate cast. They can't library cast. But commander cast is the big one. And this is your classic hate bear. Two mana, big hate effect on it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's highly efficient at stopping a wide variety of strategies. This card basically says the new rule of this game is no one's allowed to have a commander unless you already have one. Well... You you all aren't. <laughs> right. I'm allowed to have a commander. Right. You aren't. Right. Uh, next one. We talked about this recently. Even Mind Sensor. Mm-hmm. Two and a white for a creature bird wizard with flying and flash. If an opponent would search a library, that player instead searches the top four cards of that library. It's a 
This is basically the the proto version of Opposition Agent, yep. the black card, which was just printed in Commander Legends, in that it's uh, it hoses tutoring yep. very effectively. Um, the fact that it's flash is basically a trap. Somebody can start to search or attempt to resolve an effect that would search. You flash it out in response, and their chances of finding it just went way down. So, so far what we're seeing are effects that are reasonably priced dramatically affect all players yeah so we're generating a lot of negative value or we're taking away a lot of value but it does it doesn't cost us a lot of mana to do right that's you're, that's really what we have here you're you're stopping other people from running their decks efficiently right by either taking resources away or taking the capability of doing something that they would normally do away which makes sense. And that actually leads us into Chaos pretty well at the same time. Sure. Let's uh, let's take a look at Chaos. One thing that I see in Chaos is that they like Cascade. Uh, yeah. One of the top cards here, Maelstrom Nexus. Wooberg, for an enchantment, the first spell you cast each turn has Cascade. Mm-hmm. Um, that's certainly an element of Chaos, but also that's, that's really just spell slinging, or even Cascade could be its own archetype if you were to were to say it, it makes sense that it's been folded in. Yeah. Especially since uh, Chaos decks typically don't need to resolve their pieces in any given order. So right. Cascade actually works quite well for them. So a lot of Cascade here. But let's go to someone that isn't Cascade. How about this? Planar Chaos. Uh. Very interesting card here. Two and a red for an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, flip a coin. If you lose the flip, sacrifice Planar Chaos. Whenever a player casts a spell, that player flips a coin. If they lose the flip, counter that spell. So, right off the bat, you can have an effect in your deck that counters 50% of all spells right. for 3 mana in red. And because that's in your deck, and we talk about this, this is breaking parity, you can prepare for that effect to happen. You yeah. can have things that cast spells out of your graveyard. You can have things that enter the battlefield without being cast. You can have all sorts of effects that will take advantage of this. You can have things that allow you to re-roll, uh, uh, reflip coins, like Croc's mm-hmm. Thumb. You can take advantage of this, even though it is truly symmetrical, just like with stacks, just like with group hug, this kind of effect, you take advantage of even more than, than it hurts other people. And gosh, that is a lot of Cascade. There's just so much Cascade. Did Cascade just become the entire chaos archetype that wasn't looking i mean this this past set it definitely didn't help um with commander legends because yeah. cascade definitely came back with a vengeance um talk to me about this Mike. so when i think when you say things like chaos like i i get i get that i think more things like i mean i mentioned possibility storm of course uh, but i think things like possibility storm uh knowledge pool things right. things where hey I almost want to consider like this piece, stacks chaos and group hug. I know tempo is a is an actual, you know, way to play. But I think all of these are their own form of tempo, where it's I am going to change the speed of the game and the speed of everybody's decks by either enabling them, disabling them, or I'm going to be going so high and so low with the with the out actual spells that you can cast because what you cast is no longer what you're casting. The amount of variance that you get from Chaos in particular changes everybody's strategy. 
and I'm sure that I'm sure that you can build chaos to take advantage of it more times than not. But at a certain point when you're just putting all of these pieces in that just change the way that things are played and how things are played and when things can, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think all you're really doing if you put too many of those pieces in without a win condition that you can get to very consistently, all you're really doing to give yourself a better chance of winning the game is you just knowing all of the chaos pieces that are in your deck so you don't have to read the card every five minutes to know what's happening and when. Right. That's an excellent point. And I think that that is why chaos tends to work better in digital card games. I could see that. The rules are dictated by the programming. Mm-hmm. So a misplay is only possible as an unforced error, not as a gameplay error. Right. Um, for example, if discard a card when you count, when you draw a card or when you cast a spell, whatever have you, the game will remind you to do that and you won't have to read every card every time. But of course, in real life, you do have to read every card every time or listen to the cast player tell you what to do. I just, I, oof, I can't. I, I, do we have any other more thoughts on chaos in particular? Before we we move on to group hug, no, I think uh, I think we'll be talking about all three in a second here. But let's talk about yeah. group hug. Absolutely, um, group hug is is of course our preferred uh, type of the three. But mm-hmm. as you know, I'm I'm quite fond of stacks, just because it's it's kind of the other face of the coin. But right. let's talk about group hug. Here's a very popular group hug card: Rites of Flourishing. Sure. Two and a green enchantment at the beginning of each player's draw step. That player draws an additional card. Each player may play an additional land on each of their turns. Mm-hmm. Classic. That's just raw group hug value. Yep. Symmetrical for everybody. Absolutely. When I say raw group hug value and when I say group hug has a lot of value for its effect, I want to be very specific here. Mm-hmm. Each player draws a card might cost two mana. Sure. You draw a card might cost two mana. But each player drawing a card, really, when you pull back from it, and remove yourself from the equation, really, that's four cards worth of value for two mana. It's just that three of them aren't yours and mm-hmm. are going to other people. Now, most people would look at that situation and say, oh, that's plus one for me, and then minus three for me. So that's a minus two effect, which means it's negative EV for me. The way that you and I look at it is that that value that's going to other players is certainly not negative value for you and it's certainly not uh evaporated value where nothing's happening those cards are worth something right that value that you are getting uh giving out is worth something it's worth rapport it's worth favor it's worth controlling where the game goes what decisions people make Mm -hmm. these things can be changed let's look at a couple of other effects that benefit other players dictative karametra that was the big one that came into my head yeah three green green for an enchantment with flash whenever a player taps land for mana that player adds one mana of any type that land produced so you'll get one additional mana from any land you tap uh, everybody of of that color yeah everybody now this is a mana doubler for five mana which Mm -hmm. as i understand is the going rate for a mana doubler but it has an upside on it. Like, it has flash. Right. But it also has an, another effect, and that's a symmetric mana doubler, which I think many people might say, 
well, it's symmetric. It gives everybody that equal amount of value. So best case scenario, you're down a card. Worst case scenario, you just gave three times the value away. But again, the way that we might look at it is we just generated double mana value for everyone at the table, which is now influencing the direction the game is going. Is their next creature going to attack me? It might. It probably won't. Is their next big spell going to try to blow me out? It Mm -hmm. might, but it probably won't. These things influence how players act. And it's not just buying people's favor, because it's literally improving their experience of playing the game. Right. And as long as I'm manipulating people and controlling the game, I'd rather they have a good time. What are your thoughts on some of these, Mike? I mean, other the, the only mana doubler that I can think of that's less is Heartbeat of Spring, and that one is the two green or two generic and a green for an enchantment without flash that says whenever you tap a land for a mana. Right. So that's what a mana doubler costs yeah. symmetric without upside. Right. So here's here's my thing. Regardless on the if you're playing it and it's something that helps all of your opponents or you're playing it and it'll help you first or any of the value, all of that aside, because that is its own separate conversation that we've had several times and we'll have several times in the future. I hate when a group hug deck is at the table and it does nothing to try and be a part of the game so much as just change the game. Hmm. I'd rather you compete. I'd rather you try and interact rather than everybody just go fast. And I love group hug. I do not like when group hug gives a bad rap because it doesn't win or it doesn't try to win. And I get that because if all this is going to do is just, if somebody is playing group hug just to make the game go fast as possible and I'm playing a deck that doesn't want the game to go fast as possible, well, all they're doing is they're just reducing my ability to win without increasing their own. And I want to win, but, I mean, don't get me wrong. As far as these three, you know, Stacks, Chaos, and Group Hug, Group Hug by far is the least obnoxious on my list. Hmm. But I but I get it. I, I think that... I think that we could call all three of these aspects as far as changing the way the game is played or stopping people from playing their decks without intent to win the game consistently or or without showing a way to actually benefit themselves from it. Meta control. Yeah. All right. So that's we we had a, a, a good discussion about this, and I think that we're this is certainly the last time. We'll be not the last time. We'll be talking about group hug stacks and chaos. Nope, I think never, never again. Never again. This was it, everybody. Never again. No, I think that we need to have a nice episode about these three and really just deep dive and, and have a good talk about these kinds of decks. But for now, let's move on to our next item that a lot of people feel violates the social contract. Yeah. And that's underrepresenting the power of your deck. Ooh, buddy. Now, let's explain what we're talking about here, even though I have a feeling that many of our listeners immediately know what I'm talking about. Maybe this hasn't happened to you. Maybe you're blessed. I'll tell this in the form of a story. My first EDH game, I bought a pre-con off the shelf. 
there was another magic player in the store, another EDH player. They invited me to play with them, and of course I obliged. Uh, they had a Kalia deck. Mm-hmm. Kalia is a commander that cheats in other creatures. We talked about it recently. Yep. And he had a lot of dual lands. He had a lot of power. It was a powerful deck. Yeah, and it, it, it ended the game in about four turns, which is expected because um, that's a powerful Kalia deck, and I had a precon. Now, at the time, I was pretty salty, mm-hmm. but I think this is the feel-bad situation at the heart of this element, and that is when we enter an EDH game, we enter with the mutual understanding, part of the social contract, that everybody is moving toward the same goal to have a good time and to win and that that's in good faith Mm -hmm. but if you want to win more than you want other people to have a good time one thing that you might do is pretend that your deck is not as strong as your deck actually is such that you can then join a pod with lower power decks and win handily. And tying into this, I will loop in winning too quickly in general. I think that no matter uh, what your social contract is, if the meta tends to go until turn 9 and all of your decks win on turn 3, then people won't really want to play with you, even if your deck is not underrepresented in its power level. Right. So let's talk about this. We, in a previous episode, mentioned that one of the elements that makes for a good commander game Mm -hmm. is a game that doesn't last too long and isn't over too quickly. And this is just the other side of the coin. Decks like Stacks, Chaos, and Group Hug, or being unable to win the game without a concession, are one side. And this is the other side, a deck that is... So powerful that it closes the game out quickly and nobody else can compete. This is arguably the less annoying version of the two, if only because it's shorter. But that doesn't really give you much solace when it's happening to you. And this creates sort of an antagonistic relationship between an existing pod and a new player, when normally no such antagonism could exist. Other than the 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 social mores of uh, your area, your town, your country, there's no reason why a friendly magic pod and a friendly magic player would not be able to enjoy a game of Commander together. I think that, for the most part, Pick Up Commander is wildly successful and, and common. happens all the time. It's fantastic. It's one of the things that's great about the game. But this element introduces the idea that you can use this almost a universal understanding or report abusing the social contract if you will to fraudulently misrepresent the power of your deck and i think that that's more than just a faux pas it's kind of a betrayal really mm-hmm. right because they lied to you uh mike have you had this situation happen to you often uh a lot and okay. here here's the thing it's when we say underrepresenting the power of your deck, I think that actually can cut both ways. It doesn't happen nearly uh, in the in the inverse here, but 
if I go down to my local game shop, everything is hunky dory in the world again, and I sit down and I know we've we've had a little bit of a conversation on evaluating power level and okay, it's this one to ten scale, but is it and how does this work and well it's etc. Yeah. I understand it's not an exact science by any means. But if I sit down at a table with something that is a mediocre deck, it functions I guess it's capable of winning, but it's it's not a powerful deck. And I sit down with people that are playing pretty well-tuned, optimized decks, and I say, yeah, no, I can totally hang. And then I sit down, and I don't interact with the board. Or if the only thing I do to interact with the board is stop one other person from winning, but I was never really in the game, that's not fun either. That's not fun right. for me. That's not fun for the other people playing. And then you get the inverse of what you're talking about, where it's, oh, somebody's going to sit down and talk you know, about their... Oh no, it's totally chill. Like it's my favorite line is when you put down is when I see somebody put down a commander and the entire table goes, whoa. And then their immediate response is, oh no, don't worry. It's not that tight. Cause I am willing to bet at least 75% of the time when somebody says, oh no, don't worry. It's not that kind. It's not that powerful. And then I see all of the pieces that are tied to that deck being powerful. And then they say, hey, I'm sorry. Like, I just I just got the god hand right off the bat. Like, no, you didn't. Oh, boy. No, you didn't. I'm sorry. It, 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 if you have those effects, if you have those things, then own up to it. Like, that's just how it is. And maybe, you know, that deck is a nine in your circle that you normally play with. And you play with tens. Like, I get it. It's not an exact science. But there is nothing that feels worse than having that game go, playing that game, and it's three, four turns in, and then everybody shuffles up, and that player says, okay, well, do we want to play again? No, no, I don't. I sure don't. Do you have a different deck that you can play? You can play one of mine. Like, it, it, I, That's I always a good offer, right? That. That's a good solution, is if somebody new has come mm-hmm. in, and I don't think it's always malicious, because I think that one thing that, it's different metas. Us humans, exactly. One thing that us humans are very good at is adapting to our current circumstances. Right. And if you enter a different meta that's a very high power meta and plays around the 8 and 9 and, and 10 area, and then you make a 7 and go out with a bunch of 5s, in your mind, oh, my deck's not that powerful. It couldn't beat any of my friend's decks. Right. And it would lose every time. But in a different meta, it's a different story. You're the big fish in a little pond. So it's not always malicious, but Mike, you've made an excellent suggestion that I think preserves everyone's feelings. And that's, I have several decks that are of this pot's power level. Would you like to try one? And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's just, everyone gets to save face. Nobody has to sit out and feel bad. I, it's an excellent suggestion. That's what I like to do when that, when that situation happens. Right. I, I, I was going to use this metaphor earlier. But the transition you you did to getting us into the main topic here was was just too good for me to interrupt. <laughs> we have laws about how fast you can drive. Yes. There are speed limit signs everywhere. But we also have a social contract and we have something in place where, hey, the law says this. But if you're going 71 in 70 miles per hour, you're breaking the law. But are you going to are, are we going to get mad at you for that? 
No, it's it's you get mad because you're not going fast enough. Right. That, that, and that's and that's actually what I'm getting at. Because here's the thing: if you do that in different areas, if you if you're on the highway and it, if you're on the interstate and it says 70 miles per hour, and there are some people going 75 and some people going 80 and some people going 85, that is going to annoy people differently in that situation. It's not a, a stand across across the board. However, uh-huh. if I'm going. 10 miles over the speed limit in a 20 mile per hour neighborhood. Right. I'm doing the same amount of speed difference, but I'm not, it's, it's completely different. And I understand that, Hey, we need to try and make sure that we're all kind of in the same speed zone. We're all in the same power level. We're all in the same kind of efficiency of a deck. And if that is the difference and somebody is driving highway in your neighborhood, then there has to be a reevaluation and something has to change at that point. Otherwise, it's not fun for anybody, including the person that's winning. Because at that point, like, what are you doing? How do you get the enjoyment out of that? That's an excellent point, Mike. And really, I think what epitomizes that is that the safest thing to do on the highway is to go with the flow of traffic. Right. If the flow of the traffic is 15 above the speed limit, you drive 15 above the speed limit because that's the safe speed to go. You don't go 50 above the speed limit and you don't go the speed limit because that's not what other people are doing. Mm -hmm. And go with the flow, do as the Romans do, is an excellent way to play your commander deck in a meta that you are new to. Yep. And the easiest way that you can deal with that, and I know that the situation in general is a little bit harder, and sometimes you have just enough people to play a pod, so you can't do that correct uh, as often. When you're getting onto a highway, you have time to build up or slow down your speed when you're entering the actual highway. Right. You know what you can do to see where you should be at and what your speed level should be before you enter a game? Watch a game. Watch that pod play a game. Yep. It's real simple. I've I've moved to several different areas and been to several different local game shops in my commander career, we'll call it. <laughs> and the amount of times that I have taken decks back home after the first time that I've gone into that local game shop and retuned almost all of my decks because I need to is more times than I can remember. So it's okay if your decks are at a different power level. It's more okay to do what you can to try and be on the same page. So you're not, because again, you are breaking the social contract if you repeat it. Mm-hmm. And that, that I, I don't, I'm not okay with that. Agreed. Let's move on to our next point here. Yeah. That really sets people off. Go for it, Mike. This is actually, this is by far, um, we've talked about, destroying lands we've talked about stopping people from playing the game or enabling the wrong people to win the game based off of whatever uh and even just outright downplaying a competitive format this is by far my least like this is this is actually my tipping point this is my heat point and i will outright not play with people if they if they are uh if they're violating this agreement too much reneging on deals or agreements hey if if I am putting information out there, if I am saying that, hey, if I do this, I'm going to have shields down. We're going to stop this threat 
but I'm going to have shields down. I need to know that you guys are going to be okay with me sticking around this game. You're not going to mess with me if I take care of this threat. And if people tell me yes, and then in turn kill me, or if people tell me that if A, then B, and then they totally forgo that, there is not an easier or faster way for somebody to be absolutely on my not going to talk to you as a player or a human being list. I can't do it. Because holy cow, there is there is nothing worse than being lied to. Yeah, Mike. And this is a game. This is just a game. So if people are lying to you so they can put themselves in a better position to win a game, I don't want to hang out with those people. I don't want to play with those people. Yeah, Mike, it's a uh, it's a feels bad situation every time. Incredibly, incredibly, and I think that we should try to peel this one apart because yes, this is very similar to underrepresenting the power of your deck. This is a betrayal of trust, and that's something that personally that makes me feel very bad when that happens because. Mm-hmm. Not only did something bad happen, but I misinterpreted the nature of the situation of reality. I was bamboozled. And in addition to a bad thing happening, and now I'm out my benefit, I also feel dumb and bad and sad and crummy. That's that's just a negative situation. But let's Let's oh, take you're, another... You're, I, I, I gotta stop you, because you're taking a look at this a completely different way from me. You're talking about how you feel bamboozled, you feel dumb for believing somebody, because you were looking at the nature of reality, and you misinterpreted it. Uh-huh. I am looking at the, if somebody does that to you, they are changing the reality after the fact. I don't feel dumb for trusting somebody, because I choose to trust them. If they choose to give me not a reason to not trust them, that's a very good way for me to not trust them ever again. And this is a collaborative game. It's it's not, you know, to the same level as some of these other, you know, tabletop games and things along those lines where it is all a collaboration because everybody is trying to win individually. But if somebody changes the script on me, not based on the board state, not based on our the actual decks or anything else other than an agreement as individuals, as human beings. And I know this is super big grandstanding. If somebody lies to me, and that's what it comes down to, in any aspect, I'm not going to look at them the same way as I did before. Hmm. If they do it in a silly thing such as a game, oofa doofa, I... Oh, I can't do that, man. Can't. Right. I think that an amount of perspective is helpful here. Yeah. Because you and I both have very visceral reactions for our own reasons. And I think that they're really the same reason, just expressed a little differently. Yeah. And that may not have been the intention, right? The The interpretation that some people have, I don't have, but some people have about the deal is that just as in real life, a deal is a gambit where you're always going to have some element of trust and betrayal, and that in and of itself is part of what makes the political game interesting. Right. And in an abstract way, no victims, no plots, 
that's a fun thing. There are many board and card games that are built around this idea of subterfuge, espionage, but in a fun way. Right. I mean, look at look at Among Us. It was the most downloaded game of 2020, and I play that game it's a lot. It's literally about stabbing your friends in the back. And that game is a lying werewolf stab your your friends in the in the back game. You're right. Right. But you're going in with that expectation. I think the 100%. big the big difference here is a mismatch of expectation. Yep. Where one person, you or I, is seeing this as a betrayal. I can't look at you the same way. You are a mean person. Like, how could you do this? The other person is like, this is the element of the game. This is how political deals are done. As soon as you stop being useful to me, you are discarded. What did you think politics meant? And I think that that's not like an antagonistic relationship, even though it really clashes. It's more like mismatched expectations. Now, I think it's very important here to say that as long as the terms and the nature of it are made clear that renegotiating a deal or expressing discontent with new circumstances after having made a deal is and can be acceptable. The point is not that you're never allowed to break the letter or the spirit of any deal ever under any circumstances or I hate you forever. It's, okay, well, you said you weren't going to attack me, but now you're wiping the board and that's going to kill all my creatures. So even though that wasn't part of the deal, I feel like the deal has been uh, altered in such a way that I no longer feel that I need to uphold my end of the bargain. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm a little salty there, but he didn't, or I'm sorry, they, uh, that player didn't technically lie to me or betray me. And then you get into a, you know, letter of the law versus intent, uh, you know, spirit of the law kind of thing. Uh, rules is written versus rules is intended, et cetera. I, I think this is one of those things where if you're talking about your meta at your table, mm-hmm. your, you know, friends that you play with all the time, whether it's online or whatever, if you're talking about a consistent play group, this doesn't bother me to the nearly the same level because it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, I can do that. When you're talking about doing something along those lines with a, a play group that you're not familiar with, I understand that this is a fine line, but if it turns into a whatever the whatever the agreement is, I totally understand renegotiating because circumstances have changed. But there is a huge difference between re- renegotiating because circumstances have changed and then just being an outright lie. So when we're talking about well, yeah, everybody wants to win. I I do not want to make a deal like we talked about. It's the social contract. It is working together. It is cooperating for mutual benefit. And the mutual benefit in this situation is, hey, we can continue to play. We can continue to do things. But in doing so, I'm going to be in a position where I need to either lose a resource, take care of, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If that's flipped on me, if my good intent is betrayed, uh, it's a it's a it's a good way for me to say okay cool I'm just gonna let this person win from now on I am I am not going to try and interact in a way that helps you because you've proven to me that that doesn't matter to you so it 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 affects me more than it should I think that it's worth mentioning that there's really one core exception to all of this and that's when you go heads up one v one all bets are off. All deals are off the table when you go 1v1. Now, as 
as a cordial extension, uh, typically what that's going to mean is that the same turn that uh, the final person is eliminated, you don't you don't then turn onto that player in that right. same turn. Now that you're one v one, and and then a turn has passed, and now now things are fine. But once you get into the 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 one v one play, whatever deal you had is is void and forfeit. I'm fine because yeah, there's only there's only one other player in the game. There's no deal to make. I'm fine right. with people winning the game. Yeah, I'm not fine with being betrayed for a, a, an act that doesn't win the game. You're fine with people winning the game. How about with people losing the game? Well, sometimes, Alex. Why don't we final, talk to, uh, we talk to our, that? Our final point here is strategic concession of the game. Yep. What do we mean by that? Uh, maybe you've heard the term scooping at instant speed or scooping at sorcery speed. Basically, any player is allowed to concede the game at any time. This is a rule. Any player who concedes leaves the game immediately. That player loses the game. Any triggered abilities that they would have controlled don't go on the stack. All objects that they own leave the game immediately. And mm-hmm. we have a previous episode where we talk about all the intricacies of multiplayer permanent control. We're not getting into that. Right. Alex, um, well, why do you think yeah. this rule exists? Well, because if you weren't able to concede at any time, then an, another player could arbitrarily hold priority for an indeterminate amount of time doing an unlimited number of things and never let the stack empty. Mm-hmm. and never stop repeating a loop such that you would be trapped in a game unable to unable to leave sure and if people are playing a deck that takes your permanence away right and things you, along you those lines if leave. it's something where you cannot leave well that doesn't put a good feel on the game whatsoever so that's why it's there you can scoop at any time you want to yes however but should you <laughs> right Go ahead. so one of the consequences of this liberty that players have is that triggers that would go on the stack as a result of that player being in the game or that player's permanence being in a zone either don't get to trigger or the trigger fizzles. Mm-hmm. Specifically, combat damage triggers is a big one. Right. Or choosing them as the target of a big spell and they're the only target. Right. If we take the game at the letter of the law, which this is, in fact, the comprehensive rules and the tournament rules, Mm -hmm. a player may concede at any time. They don't need priority to concede. They can concede in the middle of a spell resolving. I mean, there's the game just ends and you lose. There's no benefit to conceding, except in multiplayer, where maybe you personally don't benefit, but... Through your loss, through you taking things away from yourself, you are also removing benefits from other players. You are denying those attack triggers. You're making their spell fizzle because you're a target that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. You're taking back a permanent that they stole from you, and now it doesn't exist anymore because you're not in the game. These are strategic concessions. You're making a calculated decision to deny benefit from another player by losing the game. Mm -hmm. And I think that this really ties in to a few of the other points that we were talking about. And it's when you stop playing the same game as everyone else, 
when you aren't playing I want to win, but you're playing I'm an outside force majeure, or I'm a I'm at the bottom and I'm going to claw down player number three or player number two so they can't win, or I'm going to concede and lose the game to make it so that your big blowout play doesn't work and somebody right. else will win. Those those sort of decisions, meta decisions about the state of the game, they feel like angle shooting. Sure. And that's a feels bad situation. And I think that's why a lot of people have adopted the mantra concede at sorcery speed, which realistically speaking is not how the game works. <laughs> but typically the way that my meta tends to house for a little Mike, you can speak to yours uh, in a second here, is that players can concede at any time, but if it would deny triggers or anything like that, the current action is going to continue to resolve as right. though they were still in the game. And it's no skin off their back because you know, they they left, they're done, they got all right. their stuff back. But the rest of the players don't get screwed by a player who doesn't care anymore. <laughs> and one more point, there's another thing that players like to do before they can see the game, and that's wipe the board. Yeah. They like to do a nice big fat board wipe, maybe blow up all the lands, and then immediately concede. Yeah, so you, you've you salted the earth and then moved away out of town. So you don't have to deal with it, but we do. Mike, go ahead. So this is one of those social contract aspects that I... I got the concept of, but I did not see why it was a big deal for a big, for like a decent amount of time. I didn't do it because right. I didn't know, I like, I, I know it makes people upset, so I'm just not going to do it. Okay, whatever. And it was actually, I, you might know the circumstance I'm talking about because it was in a game I was playing with you. And one of the people at our local game shop had to leave because their, their ride was coming to pick them up, right? Yes. So the last thing that they did in a game where they weren't going to win was they Rivers rebuked me. So I was in a 1v1 uh, setting with you after that point, and mm. their last act on their turn was Listen to remove, it, send all my permanents back to my hand, all my yeah. non-land permanents. Yeah. And I went, oh, so this is the inverse of that. Did did we even play that game out? I feel like we just stopped. No, we, d we were done. Yeah. We, we were done at that point. That, because it, it wasn't even fair for you. Because and I and I even asked because the like why did you do that the person that we were playing with I I I I like them they're great and I asked them outright would you have done that if you were not getting picked up right now and they said no and I said okay so all you did was decide that I don't get to win yeah and that's fine but that's not fun I don't think they they considered the consequences of that decision. They they didn't at the time, and I even remember the next week when we when we went back, they they apologized to me. It's like, no, it's okay. I right. get it, and I get and because I got the inverse of that, I now understand the okay. So you're going to stop me from gaining a benefit that my deck would get because you'd lose the game, but you're just going to lose the game before that happens on purpose, so I don't get that benefit. You're ruining the competitive balance of what is actually happening because you don't care anyway. You're already gone. And it's it's not something that I've had to deal with often, but that getting the inverse of that and people threatening because if you attack me, I'm going to quit. Stuff like that. I've heard it. It hasn't been acted on because I don't know. I don't I don't know enough people that play that mean. 
I wonder, Mike, if CEDH pods have a social contract against strategic concession. I would, if you're in a CEDH pod, please let us know. Let us know, yeah. Um, but my guess, my, did you get beaten up in the parking lot for doing that? Uh, you know what? I think my non-educated guess would be no, because I think for all of the reasons that I play casual instead of CEDH. The one thing CDH does is it's there to win the game and win the game as fast as possible. I still feel like this could be taboo in CDH. Oh, I think it's I think it would be more taboo. I think that's what I'm saying. Like I think it would be crazy if a CDH player scooped at instant speed because all of the decks are there to individually win. They know they're going in there with that mindset. So if you're going out or if you're about to lose and somebody else is going to get the I I think that they would be a pariah. I think that's interesting because that, I think a lot of people think, and, and especially in the in the intro that we just did to this podcast episode, uh, briefly mentioning that CEDH doesn't really have a social contract, but perhaps they do. Um, it, it's just a little bit different. I think that the CEDH social contract is we are all here for one purpose, and that is to win the game. And everything that falls in those lines is fair. but. If I concede at instant speed to deny my opponent uh, any kind of value or any kind of benefit that they would get from me being around, I am not trying to win the game. I'm trying to make one individual person not win by taking myself out of the game. That's that's where I'm at, but I don't know. We, we could be totally wrong. I'm actually kind of interested to see. I would love to hear from any uh, listeners that we have that play CEDH. But for now, I think uh, we should take a short break. Yeah, man, that's calling all CEDH players that listen to our group hug podcast. That's a yeah, joke. we're gonna have four people tell us. Yep, uh, you know it's um, funny. I, but, I listened to the first episode of a CEDH podcast a, a year or two ago, and in the first episode, they were talking about how much they hated group hug. I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't, I don't belong here. Okay. Um, all right, we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna come back with some advice as far as. Again, like all of our episodes, attached to our main topic here on the social contract and enjoying our games in a balanced way. Um, And then we're going to talk about a couple of cards that one breaks the color pie and one breaks the format in its own weird way before Alex walks us through some effects that are going to be very, very relevant very, very soon. We'll be right back. Hey, it's present Mike filling in for past Mike. Our audio has gotten so much better. Thanks for sticking around with us. So we're going to talk about some cards that are really underplayed. We each think that we're bringing some really interesting cards to the table, and if you want to grab them or any other cards, you can help us out in the process. We have partnered with TCGplayer.com, so if you're looking for any singles, sealed product, deck boxes, sleeves, playmats, really anything to spice up your game experience, go to bit.ly slash EDH social or click on the link in our show notes. You don't pay anything extra, and you'll really help us out by buying all the things you are going to anyway. That's bit.ly slash EDH social or click the link in our show notes. Back to the show. All right, we're back with our something old, something new segment. And I want to start with something for new players that it may, depending on the salt level of the veteran players, it might apply as well. In this game, you're going to get targeted and you're going to have things removed. Even if you don't think they're the biggest threat it's going to happen every once in a while. You're going to lose something and say, wait, why that? Why not this? Don't be salty about it. 
there are times where players have to get rid of something that might seem harmless to you, or it might not even be close to the biggest threat on the table because of what's in their hand or because of their strategy or something along those lines. You can ask, you can try and figure out why this is happening. And frankly, it might be something just along the lines of if it's a meta that you're playing with a lot, it might be because you lost the last two games, Alex. I'm, I'm getting rid of this because I don't want you to win again. If that's the case, don't be salty about it. Because if you get mad and this frustrates you to a certain point that you start making decisions based off that as well, you're going to lead to imbalanced gameplay. And there are certain metas where it. I, I, I'm a part of a meta where I know for a fact when we sit down, two of the players are absolutely going to attack each other and target each other first unless there is a very viable threat that they can actually look at and say, okay, truce for the time being. It's, it's just the meta that we're in. Don't get too upset because unless you're literally playing for prizes or something along those lines, it's, it just remains a game. Don't get upset. Don't lose fun out of the actual game because you don't understand why something's happening. Ask. It's okay. What do you think, Alex? I think that's excellent advice, Mike. I do have a bit of a caveat for that, though, and that's mm-hmm. not to get mad, but to get even. <laughs> and as long as your retaliation is constrained to the context of the game and all in good fun, mm-hmm. I think by all means, when somebody removes your important thing that you need, that you should get even. Sure. And the best way to get even, in my opinion, is the rabid dog technique. (laughs) Now, the rabid dog technique is when you latch on to one of your opponents Uh and you don't let go until they're dead, no matter what happens. So rabid dog style is the strategy of choice for all or nothing decks. Aggro, Infect, Voltron, Mill... These are strategies that don't weaken the player necessarily as time goes on. It's they're fine and then they're dead. Right. But if they're not dead, even if they only have one left, if they have one card in library, if they have one life, they're close to death, but their ability to fight back is not impaired. Mm -hmm. So effectively, rabid dog means you have a really, really long first hit. And then they lose the game. So this strategy can be employed because it's so unpleasant to, what would you say, develop something of a reputation? Not as somebody who is petulant. Not as somebody who will complain. Somebody with vengeance. But but as somebody who will retaliate toward their board being impacted. And I think developing that kind of reputation by... Maybe not by throwing a hissy fit, but by advocating for yourself, Mm -hmm. by cracking back. Say, okay, you blow that up, but uh, I'm swinging 20 at you next turn. So here's the thing. I I have no problem with retaliation. I have no problem with in-game rivalries as long as it's in the right context. As it's, ah, this is, well, you blew up my thing. I'm going to blow up your thing. Ha ha. Oh, we're having fun. It's still, yeah. What, What I think happens a lot and... I will get salty. Some like I. This is advice for me too, because sometimes I'll be sitting there with, I don't know, somebody. So I'll, I'll be I'll be playing against somebody that has Phyrexian Altar for their Aristocrats deck, and I'll be sitting here with my thing that allows me to 
scry when I cast a spell or something along those things. A value engine, but not a win con. And then somebody assassins trophy my my value engine instead of the, oh no, that's the piece that's going to kill us all. Why are you targeting me? And because I don't understand, I get frustrated. And then when I get frustrated and I ask, why is why are you doing this? And the answer isn't one that I see as, oh, that makes sense. Sometimes I get more frustrated. And then I start rabid dogging and I start attacking that person and I say no this is this is this is because you did that thing and then the person that I was mad at at the very beginning for not getting their thing removed wins the game and then I get mad at the player I was already mad at because he could have done something to stop it but he targeted me and this cycle of getting mad because either a somebody didn't see the threat on the board b because I didn't see what was in their hand or c because they had a way of dealing with it, but then they had to use it against me later because I got mad at them and started... It, I'm not trying to look for the most efficient gameplay. I'm saying if you get feelings hurt on everything that gets removed, even if it's not the most powerful thing on the table, you're going to end up making a lot of mistakes that make you at the end of the game go, oh, I probably should have done that. Mm. So try and avoid that if you can. No, that's uh, that's certainly a very good point. And I think at the core of it, politics in the game of Commander is two things, and that's wheelings and dealings, mm-hmm. the the agendas, the the political deals, and then and then the second thing is arguing about what the biggest threat is on the table. Because there's always going to be someone with some kind of answer for something. You would hope. You would hope. And that person is always going to try to have an eye on what they might like to use that on. Right. And part of politics is having that discussion. Well, you could use it on that, and that would hurt me. But if you don't use it on that doubling season, the next turn (laughs) Mike is going to ult his planeswalker. Right. So I think that as long as you have a healthy mindset about it, this isn't a very hard and fast rule. No. It's more about your attitude, right? Absolutely. Don't worry about targeting the highest threat. Worry about how mad you get if you disagree on it. Don't get mad, guys. Worry about targeting the the highest threat for you. Yeah. It's a fun game. Um, we do need to do like a full episode on threat assessment and Oh sure. Like, and more, in, and more importantly, the political aspect of threat assessment. The lies about threat assessment. Yes. Um, but before we do that, Alex, what's your advice for veteran players this week? Okay, so here's my veteran player's advice. Something old. If something isn't right in your meta, in your social contract, you can try to change it. You can try to set, encourage a, a round where everybody runs a budget deck under $50, under $25. Um, or everybody take out your mean deck. This is my Traxa deck. This is my Praetor deck. Yep. This is my Stacks deck. Let's all play our mean decks, you guys. Or how about our expensive decks? This is the deck I've been working on for 10 years. Bring out your strongest decks. Let's play Arch Enemy. Mm-hmm. Whatever you feel could add to the experience of your pod, of your meta, try it out in a healthy way. You don't have to jam it in, right? You don't have to say, well, I have this deck and I feel I should be allowed to play it. Because maybe you're not allowed to play it. <laughs> maybe that's not the right deck for this meta. And maybe you just have to live with that or change your deck. Um, but right. if you reframe it as, okay, for a change of pace, let's all take out our scariest, meanest decks and just have a mean deck fight. And I think that your meta, your pod, might be a little bit more amenable to that, Mike. 
Yeah, I mean, so with my playgroup, there's there are games where it's not even the player that has the most powerful deck in the in the pod. It's but he he will be the one that usually does the call to arms of I want to see the crazy powerful decks that you guys have. Let's 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 do like the bring your meanest thing out, and then you know one uh, like I'll bring out my Silvala deck, and one of the other players will bring out their Kozilek deck, and one of the other players has an Urza deck, and it's it's there, it's called for right, it, right, and when you do that and you're calling for it or you're saying hey, how do you guys feel about doing blank if you're the only one who doesn't want to or who does want to do something in your meta. I'm sorry, that's on you. That's not on the meta. You you can you can express it, but either at that point you either need to find a new meta or see how you feel about adopting more of the changes that they're actually trying to put in place. So I love this advice for a it gets an opportunity to switch stuff uh, switch stuff up under an understanding of this is the umbrella that we're under today. So I'm a big fan of this. This is great advice. Well, thank you, Mike. Um, and there's another side to this coin as well, is that mm-hmm. this kind of intervention can keep your meta healthy. Yes. Because those decks, the mean decks, the expensive decks, the decks that go against the social contract, well, people still design those decks. They still want to play them. And without an outlet to play them in, without a framing device, an excuse to play them, let's all run the mean deck, they may want to misrepresent the deck just so they get a chance to play it. Right. And this gives them an excuse to actually say, oh, I have the perfect mean deck. Let's all do that. Let's take out my Zozu deck. That's our advice this week. Let's move right into our... Ooh, can I see that? Yeah. Uh, I, so this is going to be an interesting one because I don't know if technically I, I beat you this this uh, this <laughs> this session or not. Let's just say that that I wasn't competing this time. Now this feels unfair. I, I either <laughs> I either lose or I don't win because you're not playing. Okay. Whatever. How about Fine. you win, Mike? Okay, I'll take it. All right. So Kaldheim uh, kind of set the world on fire with a couple of different cards. One of them, we're not going to go into the full of it, is a color pie breaking card. It's a red counter spell, and people were freaking out about it. And I don't understand why, because there's been a red counter spell for a long time, and yeah, it's pyroblast. The, well. There's another one. Like, there's... Yeah, Red Elemental Blast. Yeah, Guttural Response. See what I mean? Like, there's all of these things. But the one that no one seems to talk about is by far my favorite one, because it is a counterspell, and is a counterspell in the most red way that I can think of. Uh, my card is Mage's Contest. This is one generic and two red for an instant. It says, you and target spells controller bid life. You start the bidding with a bit of one. In turn order, each player may top the high bid. The bidding ends if the high bid stands. The high bidder loses life equal to the high bid. If you win the bidding, counter that spell. This is an auction using your life to counter a spell. It's in 520 decks in all of red. This is one of my favorite cards to put in any deck that has Sunforger. No one sees this card coming. <laughs> if you're in a life gain deck, it's awesome, whatever. All of that aside, it is the only card I can think of where it's a, well, how much do you want to play that spell? And you get to play chicken with somebody. And if you're talking about 
being the terrible person that scoops at instant speed? Well, how would you like to pay life you don't have to make sure that someone absolutely does not get to cast their spell? This is dumb, yeah. but it's a red it's a red counterspell. I love it. Yeah, Mike, this is uh, just a very fun color bending, color breaking spell that has a couple of interesting things about it. And the first one you uh, you just gave right away, and that's that this is life bidding, not life payment. And Mike, you can bid life that you don't have. Yep. Which means that if you want to bid yourself down into negative life, you can. And then when the spell resolves, if you won, you lose. You'll counter the spell, and you'll lose the game. couple more notes about that. Because you are bidding life and not paying life, mm-hmm. effects that prevent your life total from changing still function with this card. Correct. Platinum Imperion, Teferi's Protection. You are still allowed to control those effects and then resolve this. You can bid as much life as you want. Your life total will not change, but you can still win. The next thing is that this spell causes you to lose life. It doesn't deal damage to you, and it's red. It's such a weird card. And, man, I just... The art on it is cool. Two mages yeah. literally stare... It, it's literally them having a staring contest with, with red lightning, lightning coming out. Yeah. It's This is a fun card. If you if you want a red fun counterspell stuff. to make the table go, Huh? Uh, I got you. It's a buck seventy-five. Yep. And the foil is $23. Yeah, it's a little weird. <laughs> Probably because the foil looks great. Does it? I mean, old style foils with the old border. The entire border is foiled. And then uh, it, it just looks fantastic. The card doesn't curl because they use a, a, a better card quality. We don't have to get into that. Let's talk about my card. Yeah. Uh, I, I cheated this week. My card's banned in Commander. Yeah. But it was printed in a Commander set. Mike, this is the only card that has ever been printed in a Commander set that's banned in Commander. Mm -hmm. That's Trade Secrets. Trade Secrets, one blue-blue for a sorcery. Target opponent draws two cards, then you draw up to four cards. That opponent may repeat this process as many times as they choose. This card's in one deck out of 250,000. It's in a joke deck, I can tell, because it costs $50,000 in the Commander's Leovold, and all the cards in it are banned. So this card's in zero decks. And it's in zero decks because it's banned. Why is it banned? Because of what I was talking about earlier, that value isn't unidirectional. This card is banned, Mike, because it can generate infinite value by itself Mm -hmm. as long as you control a different aspect of the game, meta control. As long as you've cut a deal, trade secrets, this is a card with infinite value. Perfect for Commander, don't you think? No, of course, it's far too powerful. What do you think, Mike? So, I think part of this is me and you being the players that we are. And it's just, I don't don't see this being a big issue. It's one of the very few cards that I can... It's three mana deck yourself and you win. Yeah, with with assistance, unless you're mind-slaving somebody. Which, I don't know, this is just one of those things that I don't... I, I like this card. I know that you like this card. I like this card. The fact that we like this card is probably why it's banned. (laughs) Because you and me would be sitting at the pod. Uh, Me and Mike are good friends, but even when we were uh, in a pod together, we didn't have a disinclination to attack each other. Sure. But I'll tell you right now, if I resolved trade secrets and I chose Mike, uh, he would just let me draw however many cards I wanted. 
Yeah. Because he wants to draw as many cards as he wants to. Yeah, draw. go for it. Let's go. You know what? This this I, is. I, I'm gonna make a caveat on that that actually ties it into our original uh, topic. If you played this card, I would ask you, are you going to play a lab man kind of effect? And if you told me no, no. I would say, okay, draw your deck. Yes. <laughs> I'm not playing lab man. I'm playing Thassa's Oracle. <laughs> I'm playing Jace. Right. Okay. But, but yeah. So, <laughs> this, uh, it's fascinating to me because it tells me what we already know. Mm-hmm. Wizards of the Coast R&D have an understanding of the nature of symmetric effects that extends for normal games, normal circumstances, standard, modern, legacy, limited, competitive formats where players have a specific motive, Mm -hmm. the winning motive, and that's all that really matters. So a political deal like this in that context makes perfect sense. It may not ever get taken up on. Sure. But it could. It won't, but it could. But it wouldn't be broken because your opponent, unless they had like hand attack or something like that, like discard your hand, they wouldn't be willing to give you an arbitrary number of cards. But in Commander, you can do this thing called king making, which is a maligned version of group hug that may be accidental or intentional. That basically involves giving so much value to one specific player that you have effectively single-handedly caused them to win. Because two players working together is something that two players or more players not working together couldn't hope to compete with. You are more than the sum of your parts because of value like this. And the result of that is kind of a feel-bad situation, right? Yeah. Your opponents have created an alliance, and now you have to team up with another player, even if you don't get along, even if you don't want to make a deal with them. And that's that's just a feels-bad situation. King-making, I would say, was number six on our list, right? Um, have you experienced that, Mike? Uh, king-making? Yeah. And I'm actually... I, I'm fine with king-making under certain circumstances. If, if, uh-huh. I'm, if I'm giving somebody a win that hasn't won in that night, or something okay. along those lines. Or if it's... Even if it's something silly, like, you know... Ah, well, you're killing me. So on my way out from from Hell's Heart, I stab at thee. That kind of stuff, totally fine with. On my way out from Hell's Heart, I stab at thee. Sounds like you wipe the board and then run away. Oh no, I'm, I'm not stabbing the world. I'm just stabbing. I'm just stabbing what sent me to hell. But <laughs> but I get what you're saying. Okay, uh, so that's mine. Nobody runs this card because it's banned. Thirty-seven cents. Yeah. First printed in Onslaught, reprinted in Commander 2011. The first Commander set. And it's legal and legacy and vintage. Yeah. For Alex's card, Trade Secrets, I want you to go ahead and write a letter to your magic congressman and mm-hmm. see if you can get this unbanned because I would like to put it in a bunch of decks. Do not harass the Rules Committee. Yeah, don't do that, though. Ask do them that. nicely. Yeah. Alex. Yeah. So our Judge's Corner this week is is kind of a, uh, it's not a sneak peek because people are aware of these cards. We've already had the conversation as far as modal double-faced cards, but now they're in the command zone. And right. Snow Mana is coming back, and Kaldheim is weird. Talk to me about how this works. Talk to me about the effects of a double-faced card being in the command zone, and then we'll come back to Snow Mana after that. Absolutely, Mike. Modal double-faced cards in the command zone is probably the single most natural, intuitive move for them. I think that everything that has happened about MDFCs 
prior to this has made a lot less sense intuitively than putting them in the command zone. I agree. And that is because a commander card, and that is a card that is your capital C commander, whatever it is, that physical card is what is your commander. It doesn't matter if it's face up, face down, back face, front face, under someone else's control, it will always deal commander damage, and every time you cast it from the command zone, you will pay an additional two. And that's exactly how MDFCs work. If you cast it from the command zone, you may cast either face, it will enter the battlefield, maybe its back face is an artifact. If you animate that artifact into an artifact creature, it deals commander damage. If that artifact dies and you've resummoned it as a commander, you pay an additional two. It is the most intuitive it has ever been, and that's a good thing because very few things about MDFCs are intuitive. Like, so if I play, if I play one of these cards as my commander, mm-hmm. and I cast it from the, if I cast it on the backside, the artifact side, for an example, uh, and that artifact is removed, mm-hmm. do I flip the? If I put it back into my command zone, do I flip the card back to its front face again? Does it matter? Yes. Your commander and any card is always its front face in every zone except on the battlefield with its back face up. Okay. And regardless of what's happened, the commander tax applies however it was removed each time it's been removed. Right. Okay. If you remove the artifact side, both sides cost an additional two. If you remove the creature side, both sides cost an additional two. If I play the creature side twice, it gets removed twice. The artifact side costs four mana additional. Okay. It's all the same. It, well, all of that makes a lot of sense, which Great. I'm very enthusiastic about because mm-hmm. one of the things that this set is bringing with it is not the return because it's been something where snow mana has counted for some It's been stuff. seasonal. Yeah, but... Uh, no, oh, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's it's making a triumphant entrance. The, the full Prince Ali into the palace return of snow mana i guess um, this is a big rebranding for snow mana yeah it is so talk to me about snow mana okay mike so snow mana is like generic mana mm-hmm. it has a symbol but things don't generate snow mana mana generated by snow effects uh which up until Kaldheim was snow permanent, snow lands, snow creatures, snow artifacts right. that generate mana could be used to pay snow costs, mm-hmm. and they can't still. Now that we have snow spells, snows instants, snow sorceries. Snow abilities, even. Yeah, all sorts of fun snow things. Now that we have snow instants and sorceries, and at least one of those is a snow ritual that generates mana, uh, now that rule will have to be amended, and indeed it will. Uh, as we have already seen in the reminder text, that mana from a snow source can be used to pay snow. Oh, okay. When you see a snow cost, that is generic mana. Mana of any color or any type can be used to pay it as long as it came from a snow source. And if it is a snow source, it doesn't matter what type of mana it is. Colorless, colored, doesn't matter. It is snow mana, but you don't write it as snow mana because it's it's not a type of mana. It's a kind of cost you can pay for. Okay. And I realize that's kind of a strange distinction, but this is quite similar to uh, in Zendikar, when they separated generic mana and colorless mana. Mm-hmm. 
nothing generates generic mana anymore as of 2010. But things can generate colorless mana, which can be used to pay generic mana costs, and also colorless mana costs. Likewise, things can generate generic and colored mana that can be used to pay snow costs if it comes from a snow source. Does that make sense? That does make sense. So, I mean, to clarify then, if I use an Evolving Wilds to go get a basic land, I can get a forest or I can get a snow-covered forest without any kind of issue, correct? Yes. That is because basic snow lands are basic lands. Right. Snow is a super type. But it doesn't succeed or replace any other super type. Okay. So we have basic snowland forest, which is snow-covered forest. And that is a basic land. You can fetch it with any effect that says find a basic land, and it will generate snow mana. And that's, that's kind of the appeal, right? Is that you feel like you're getting a little bit of extra value because with a basic land effect... You are now able to find a mana source that powers specific abilities, specific costs. Right. It's like including a wastes to be able to uh, to make a activate specific... your your Eldrazi. That makes sense. Yeah. So something like Myriad Landscape, where I can sacrifice it to go find two lands that share a land type. Mm-hmm. Could I do that to get a snow covered land as well as a regular land? As long as they're both a plains, for example? Yes, that's uh, that's not the question I thought you were going to ask, but yes. Okay. You could go get a snow-covered plains and a plains because they're both basic lands that share a land type. Okay. What you couldn't do is go get a snow-covered plains and a snow-covered forest because, because snow those is don't not the share... A, right, exactly. Okay. Snow is a super type, not a land type. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into a lot of... More, we're going to get into a lot more uh, modal double face cards as well as snow mana and snow effects. And I'm looking forward to talking about that with you, buddy. Absolutely, Mike. Thank you for listening, everyone. That's going to do it for us this week. Alex, where can people find you on social? Well, you can reach me at Labramedic on Twitter, L A P P R Medic, or you can email me directly at alex at edhrec.com. Awesome. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and rate the podcast. If you have any questions or comments for us, follow us on Twitter at EDH underscore social or email us at the social contract EDH at gmail.com. I really do want to hear from CEDH players. I really want to know yeah. about uh, scooping at instant speed. Talk to us about your social contract in CEDH. I want to hear all about it. And and also, if you're not in competitive format, which, hey, I Nice to talk to you again. <laughs> I assume yeah, that you've hi. been here for a minute. Um, talk to us about things that are part of your social contract as well. Maybe things that we didn't talk about. Maybe things that you have more questions on. I'm looking forward to it. Does your meta have a uh, have a no politics social contract? And if so, how do you stay alive? Uh, Alex, if, if, if let me amend that. Does your meta have a no politics uh, amendment to your social contract? And if so, are you okay? Do you need help? I'll start. We'll start playing games with people to give you a, a place to. We will have an intervention with your pod. Yeah, I. You know what? I'm down for that. We'll talk to you guys later. All right.